Jesus, thanks so much for your spirit. We ask that your spirit would come and transform these uh, human words that I'm speaking in English and transform them into spiritual realities and blessings to our hearts. Lord, forgive us for thinking that we are just earthly people. Maybe it's not a conscious decision even, but Lord, we're just so used to being able to interact with the world based on what we can see and hear and feel. And God, the reality is so much deeper than that. The spirituality is real, and you are among us, God, and, and you have great blessings to just drop down on us today. And Lord, we open our hands to receive them. We open our hearts, Lord, and just fill them. As my friend said last night, you're like peanut butter. You fill the cracks of our hearts with love. God, I love that picture of you, and it's, it's, it's blessed me ever since I've heard it. So, Jesus, we love you, and we ask you would just shower your truth on us today. Amen. All right, guys. Ephesians chapter 1. We are breaking speed records like you wouldn't believe going through the book of Ephesians. Uh, we've been doing it six weeks now, and we've covered ten verses. Uh, woo, that's right. Uh, and you know what? No one can tell me not to, because I'm the pastor now, so I'm cool with it. This is how I want to stay. <laughs> I'm excited about it. I'm, I love the depth of what the Lord is showing me in the book of Ephesians. So look with me now at verse 11, uh, 10 and 11. It says, in him, in him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. I'm going to start off this sermon, uh, which is called Experience Your Inheritance, by the way. I'm going to start off this sermon uh, by giving the gospel. That way, if I drop dead up here today, right on the stage, before I'm done with the sermon, you'll know what in the world this was all about. Also, if you're not saved, you'll have a chance to understand what we're talking about. Because this is going to be spiritually deep things that we're going to be talking about. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit living inside you, you're going to be wondering, what is he talking about? How does this relate to me? I don't understand because the Holy Spirit is our teacher. He's our instructor. I'm, I'm up here as the pastor, but I'm not responsible for teaching your heart. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So, people all have a problem. We die. I could die up here. Every single one of us will die. And we don't even get to choose the moment that we die. It could be right now, it could be tomorrow, or it could be in 80 years. But we don't know. Kind of like my son John's fish. <laughs> you who follow me on Facebook and my wife, you may have heard the story. Last week, John got a fish for his birthday on February 10th. And, and it was this blue beta fish. And he named it Walt Disney because that's his favorite person in the entire world. And John loved his fish. He would, he would always ask, did you feed the fish? I, you know, I want to look at my fish swim. And one day, he, he stayed home from church on a, on a Wednesday night. He wasn't feeling well. And he was there with Dana, and they were, you know, she's working, doing her couponing stuff. And, and he's in there watching a movie or 
playing in the living room. And he kept saying, hey, mom, you know, I'm doing this. And he's kind of hyper that night. Well, that night passes. They go to bed. We come out the next morning and I say, honey, did you change the water of the fish yesterday? She's like, yeah. And I'm like, did you do it right? And I thought she killed the fish because the fish was dead. The fish is floating at the bottom, sideways, not moving at all, totally dead. I was like, honey, did you kill John's fish? She's like, no, I did it all right. I put in the drops and everything. And, and John heard us talking, and, he's, and he just burst into tears, and he said, I did it. We were like, what? And he's like, I wanted to pet him. And so I took him out, and I was petting him. And he killed his fish. <laughs> oh. And as he was telling us, uh, we just couldn't, contain ourselves we were about to just start laughing just cracking up because he was so sincere and he was just started crying and it was so sad he was sincere and he put him back in that's the thing it's like he's dead and they put it back in and i I don't know if he thought maybe he would just come come back alive in the water or something but he was dead that fish did not know that he was going to die that day (laughs) only god knows when you will die And he loves you, and I believe he gives you as many opportunities as possible to respond to his love and salvation. To believe in his substitutionary death on the cross for your sin. So, we're going to do this every week. We're going to give people a response. Now, I know, like, everyone in here. And I know you guys are saved. I know that you guys know the Lord. Well, I think, you know, maybe you've been struggling with this for a while but I'm going to make this offer and I want to teach you guys that I'm going to do this every week so that you can bring your friends. You can bring your enemies. They need it, right? (laughs) Then they won't be your enemy anymore. Bring as many people as you can to hear the gospel. So if anyone wants to receive the gospel, please put your hand up and we'll pray for you and enter God's kingdom right now and then you can understand what's going on because you're not promised five minutes from now. You're not because maybe it's not me that drops dead on the stage here today. Maybe it's you. Maybe you die from boredom. Or maybe there's a gas leak like in New York City and the whole building blows up and we all die. You never know. You never know. Not that I smell anything funny or anything, but it's okay. So all that's required for us to attain eternal life is that we repent and believe that Jesus died on the cross as our substitute. That he was God and he gave his life as a substitute for your sin. And if you believe that in your heart and confess it with your mouth, you'll be saved. And that's what the Bible says. So, we who believe now, we believe. We're in here. I've given the opportunity for you to believe. So I believe all of us in here know the Lord. We're in Christ. We are now in Christ. We are not... In our sin, we are free. We are not, we're not on a spiritual journey. We have found the source of the Spirit, Jesus himself. And out of our hearts flows the Holy Spirit, a new life, every day for his glory. And our lives are forever changed. And you and I, we turn away from our sin. We identify ourselves with Jesus and his death when we're baptized and Our very lives are now marked by selfless love for others. We count all things a loss for the excellency of knowing Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we're doing. 
And I believe it. I see it in your life. There's evidence. There's proof of this. You know, we say, as us believers, spirit-filled, we say, I don't care about my, my stuff, my possessions. I don't care about my power, my ability to influence other people or control other people. I don't care about my performance or my ability to impress God or others by keeping the law. I don't care how people treat me. I'm going to love them anyway. I don't care what the world says about the promise of my life or my potential that they see in me. If I just follow their systems and their programs, man, they have this whole plan set out for me, but I don't buy it. I don't care about any of those things because dead men don't care. Dead people don't care, do they? I've never seen a zombie love story or a zombie with feelings. And when we are dead to sin, we can be alive to God. That's, that's where this equates to us. We're dead to this world and the sin that it offers, and we're alive to God. So all we care about now is loving God and loving others. It seems like we give up all the benefits and comforts in this world for the sake of Jesus, like we're all just sheep lined up to be slaughtered and killed. And what does it get us in this world to live like this? If we're truly spirit-filled believers and we don't care about sin, the world, we're just here to love the Lord, what does it get us? Does it get us fame? No. You live a life of obscurity in the Lord. Does it give us riches? Probably not. What about comfort? Nope. But I want to show you today that all these things that we give up for the Lord, it's because they're already ours. These things, these comforts, all these ideas of blessings, they're not treasures that our heart needs to long for. Nope, they're not. Because you already have every comfort and treasure that your heart could imagine in Jesus. And this frees us up from having to pursue it in the world. We don't have to pursue all these things, all these ideas and treasures that our heart thinks it longs for. We don't have to worry about it. We can just focus on loving the Lord. And we can store those things off. We can, we can just believe that they're already ours. And we just focus on love the Lord. So let's look at our text here. It says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance We've looked at so many of the blessings of being in Christ, the salvation, the forgiveness. We've looked in depth at those things, but today we look at our inheritance. See, we experience earthly blessings by our ears and our eyes and our hands, by our five senses. That's how you experience if something is good or pleasing. That's how you know. And I suggest to you that everything we know as an earthly blessing right now here as something that, that's to be desired in this world, that is simply a foreshadow of the true blessings that are in Christ. Let me explain what I mean. Look at relationships. And it's a blessing to have friends, right? It's a blessing even more to be married. Yet, when the Pharisees came and asked Jesus, well, what, they were trying to trick him, the Sadducees actually, they were mocking him basically, saying, well, marriage, you know, you can't believe there's going to be 
uh, or in heaven, this idea of marriage just boggles our mind. And Jesus said, there's not going to be marriage in heaven. But he says, that actually, we're going to be like the angels. Because relationships and marriage is the pinnacle of all relationships. In, in relationships on earth, they're flawed still with sin. And in heaven, the average Joe walking on the street, you're going to be able to have a relationship with him that blows away even your closest relationship here on earth. Relationships foreshadow heaven for us. It's a blessing, though. Man, marriage is a blessing. It's a total blessing. When you honor the Lord, and when you're seeing the Lord work, man, it's, it, there's nothing like it. And for me, it's just a taste. It's a foreshadow of what heaven is going to be like. Let me, let me shift it and give you another example. Entertainment. Entertainment. And we relate this in heaven to the word awe, where they, where they stand in amazement in heaven. See, in heaven, we get to lay our eyes upon the source of all joy, awe, and wonderfulness. See, we, on earth, we get excited about the newest, coolest looking TV or iPad or movie. But then the glory of each of those things fades away. There's something, there's always something better that comes along. Like I just saw a commercial or read something online that there's going to be a new iPhone 6. And you know what my heart did immediately? Oh, I want that. But it tells us clearly in the word that when we see Jesus, when we arrive in heaven and we lay our eyes upon him, his glory never fades. We will be in awe forever. It will never get old. People say, are you going to get bored in heaven? They have this idea of just playing the harps. La, la, la. Because that's what the cartoons Bugs Bunny showed us, you know, when we were growing up. It's amazing how those things have affected our perception. We think the devil has a tail with the triangle at the end. So that idea of heaven is not very appealing. I don't want to play a harp in heaven. Maybe I'll, maybe, but there's got to be something more to it. And what the word explains to us is that it's a glory and it's awe. It's amazing. It's perfection. It's what everything is intended to be. When you see an HD TV, I want you guys to think it's flat. It's a flat screen. It looks cool, but it's not. It's not even three-dimensional. Picking up a rock is more real than an HDTV. But which one would you pay more money for? Hmm. So it's not that we give up the inheritance, all the inheritances of this world, all the blessings and all the great things that we could get in this world. We just move into a realm where we can experience the real versions of each of the good things by faith in Christ. I like the real version of things. You know, there's a whole multi-billion dollar market out there for virtual reality technology. It's big, you know, virtual reality, and they're all this, and they're trying to make things more real. But have you ever seen virtual reality going into the, the eHarmony or Match.com websites world? You don't see it there. Why? 
Because people aren't looking when it really gets down to what they really want in life. They're not looking for virtual reality. They're looking for a real relationship. And so this virtual reality thing, you know, being married is so much better than watching Married with Children or The Simpsons or being married is so much better than watching someone's dysfunctional marriage. I have my own dysfunctional marriage that I can experience with my own two eyes and ears and mouth. Being married is so much better than being engaged. But you've got to wait for it. Just as we have to wait for our marriage to be consummated in heaven at the marriage feast of the Lamb. You know, the real, what's the real if, if, if our marriages and our lives and our singleness and our relationships are all a foreshadow, what's the real thing that we're waiting for? It's when we arrive in heaven. And it says the, the first thing that goes on when his bride arrives is there's a marriage feast. And we all sit down and we just party with him for like seven years. And it, it's going to be amazing. That's, that's going to be the real thing. And we'll think back on all our relationships on earth and we'll be like, what was I so excited about? What did I, what did I really... Why did I seek for myself in these things? Why didn't I just serve people? Why didn't I just love people? So it says in our text here, in God's word to us, it says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. See, we can't experience this inheritance with our five senses yet. It's ours. It belongs to us. But we can't experience all of it yet. But anything your heart desires is obtained in Jesus. In turning away from sin, we get all that our flesh was actually trying to obtain through sinful rebellion. Let's go back to Adam and Eve and let's think about what they did. You know, Adam and Eve, they had it all in the garden, but they didn't know it. They were, they got to walk with God. They were clothed in glory. They had everything their hearts could desire, but they got deceived when the enemy came and said, what? There's something else. There's something that you don't know. And I'm here to open your eyes and tell you God is hiding something from you. In fact, there's more than just God. You can be like him if you rebel. Rebel against his simple command, direction, to not eat of this fruit. But that, that idea that, oh, I could, there's something else for me to experience there's something more for me to know. It deceived them and it caused them to fall. And Jesus has been on the process of restoring that. And that's why it says he gave us the inheritance. See, everything that we need or everything that we desire has been given to us. I go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible with Adam and Eve because, because the next few words in our text here it says, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. God's plan is old. 
we went all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Adam and Eve, about 6,000 years ago or so, and we see that it, it kind of unfolded right there. But his plan, he, he actually has been working everything out for a long time. His decisions and provisions predate even the need for redemption. And if you look closely, it says here that the decision is for the provision. His predestination, his decision was for the provision. His decision that that salvation is going to be given to those who trust in Christ. That's his decision. And he knows beforehand who will put their trust in Christ. And he, he writes their names in the book of life and he makes provision for them. But the two are always related. The faith in Christ and the provision. Those two things are the focus of the text and they're always related. It's summarized this way by John 80. Our inheritance in Christ springs not from merit, nor is it an accidental gift bestowed from a casual motive or in fortuitous circumstances, but it comes from God's foreappointment conceived in the same independence and sovereignty which guide and control the universe. Well, how can this be? Earl explains, it's not without reason, but for reasons. Hidden may it be from us, yet proper to the highest mind and most perfect moral nature. So God has these purposes, and we can't always see them, but his purpose never violates the free will of men. And that's where people get all, all confused and all intense about their man-given way of understanding things. They get very possessive about how, how is the right way to understand this. If you look at Luke chapter 7, verse 30, there's one of 70 different times in the Bible where it uses the same word. Not the word predestination, but the word according to his counsel. The word counsel. That word counsel in the Bible is very important. Because it says his predestination was according to this counsel. The counsel, okay? And in Luke 7, 30, it says, but the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves, not having been baptized by John. And that's just one, and we could look at many, 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 but that word purpose is the same as the word purpose here and the word counsel. It speaks of God's will for their life was to be saved. And they rejected it. They rejected it. They could have easily received it, but they rejected it. So God had a predetermined purpose to save them and they chose to reject it. But what we're looking at here is really the timing of this thing. The timing. If you turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 13, you're going to see something really interesting about the timing and, and how this inheritance and this whole predestination works together. And in chapter 13, verse 8, it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, speaking of the Antichrist. This, the whole world is going to be falling for this guy, the Antichrist. And it says, Whose names are not written in the book of, the, of life. Remember I said that was, that was something that happened with his predestination, somehow related to his foreknowledge. And it says here, 
of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. See, Jesus' decision to die on the cross for you was made before the world was made. He purposed, he counseled, and he worked it all out. And that relates to this whole predestination thing. In fact, it's, it's the more overarching idea. It's not about who he chose. That's related to the foreknowledge. It's about his provisions. That's where it says here, he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. That's the focus. It's on him and his provisions. He worked it all out. Why? Because that gives him the most glory. In 1 Peter chapter 1, turn with me there, 1 Peter chapter 1, right after the book of Hebrews, just a little left from Revelation, 1 Peter chapter 1, it explains, it goes even deeper for us in this. Verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, But the precious blood of Christ as a lamb, didn't we just read about him being a lamb? Slain for that, well, he's, so look how they link together. As a lamb without blemish and without spot, who was verily foreordained before the foundation of the earth, but was manifest in these last times for you. So, was he predestined to die for you? Or did he choose to die for you? See, we see this illustrated in Jesus' own life. But we walk with Jesus and we see him declare, I choose to give my life as a ransom, don't we? We see in the Garden of Gethsemane a real battle in his will. Stress and and is, is he really going to go through with this? So did he, was he predestined to die for you or did he choose to die for you? And the answer is yes. Yes. How can I understand that? If he was, if he was crucified before the beginning of the world, how was he crucified 2,000 years ago? I don't know. Maybe you can tell me. So I praise the Lord for predestination correctly understood. Because it's related to promises. And that's where I'm showing you guys. Is it's related to his promises. It's the unchanging decision of God to follow through on his promises. That's what I believe the correct definition or explanation of what the heart of predestination is in the Bible. It's that God follows through on his promises. Not my promises, his promises. That he will save those who trust in Jesus Christ. In Titus chapter 1, verse 2, I'll read it to you. It says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So again, I don't know how he made a promise before the world began, but he did. I don't know who he was even talking to to make a promise. He made a promise, though, to be faithful. He made a promise to be trustworthy. He made a promise to be there for you and I. Even when we turn our backs on him, he made these promises. And I think maybe it wasn't a spoken promise as we think of someone making a promise, but it's just naturally who he is. When it tells us that he was crucified before the foundations of the earth, I don't think it's describing an action. I think it's describing a character trait. 
And these promises, they have no beginning or end. And I think it's because they are literally bound up in the heart of Jesus and simply expressed by words which we can understand. But it didn't start out with the words. Notice in these verses that the attribute that Paul highlights in relation to this promise is that God cannot lie. God cannot lie. That's an unchangeable attribute of God. He didn't decide one day that he's not going to lie. God wasn't thinking, what kind of a God am I going to be? A vengeful, mean God that just betrays my subjects at any moment in time? Or maybe I'll go the other way and be a God that doesn't lie. That's not a conversation that happened. God has always been true. He didn't have to one day decide, what kind of God am I going to be? It is a character trait. And so the promise didn't have to be said at one point in time. It just was always a promise. Because a promise with God isn't something he just says. It's who he is. This is starting to blow my mind. And so it works with this. And so the promise as well. You know, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 1 with me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, we see an awesome, awesome verse. Then we looked at this verse yesterday morning at the men's Bible study and and we talked about the depths of the glory of it. And it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. That means God's promises are bound up in Jesus Christ. Okay, he's, he's promised many things, and they're all in him. And so when you call upon Jesus, do you know what the answer is going to be? The answer is going to be yes and amen. So be it. Oh, but what if I've done really bad things? I mean, worse than you can imagine. The answer is still yes. Anyone who calls on him or is in him, receives all the promises. And this relates to our inheritance too. Anyone who needs anything in him, the answer is yes. What about the Holy Spirit? Oh, I need the Holy Spirit. I have a heart that longs to do this wicked thing. And God, I need your spirit to come transform me. And so I call upon you, Jesus. What's the answer going to be? Yes. And you know what? We don't call upon him. That's why we don't see it. We'll get to that in a minute. What does this all mean to us? Here at at White Flag Calvary in the auditorium of Merrill Middle School on March 16th, 2014, what does all this mean to us? This whole predestination deal? Number one, your inheritance is in Christ, so don't look for it somewhere else. Be single-minded. Be passionately in love with Jesus and love and let him be the love of your soul. And don't let your soul long for anything else. Don't let this world and the comforts of this world deceive your heart into spending your time with them or pursuing them. Number two, Jesus is a God of promises. 
Learn them. They are not a joke. This is your homework for this week. Identify promises that Jesus makes, that the Word of God has for it. And then think about those promises in relation to a promise as part of God's character. It's not just something that's given to you to hope for. Just, I hope the Broncos win the Super Bowl. No, this is a promise. This is part of God's character that will never fail when I'm in Christ. In Christ. He can't... These promises are as much a part of his character as love or mercy. He can't be separated from them. Even the smallest one will come true. Someone said, he cannot work independently from his own nature, for then he would cease to be God, something that's impossible. He is a wise God, therefore his internal purpose is a wise one. He is a powerful God, therefore he is able to accomplish his purposes. And he is a loving God, therefore what he purposes will be manifest in love. He is an unchanging God, therefore his purpose is unchanging. Number three, all of this is summed up in two words, trust him. Are you suffering? Trust him. Are you doubting? Trust him. Are you lonely? Trust him. Are you poor? Are you rich? Are you impatient? Are you anxious? Are you desperate? Are you lost? Are you angry? Are you crying? Or are you broken? Are you dying? Or are you living? Trust him. To the extent that you trust him, you will experience your inheritance. It's to the extent that you trust him. And I think trust can be divided into two sections. Faith, in other words, you believe that these promises he's made are, are true, that he really made them. Faith. You believe. And number two, humility. You don't just believe, you ask, and so receive. It's like you have a rich uncle. It's great to have a rich uncle, right? It's always giving you a little bit on the side, (laughs) taking you out to a nice dinner. Well, it, it would be great if you believed he was rich, but if you don't ever ask him, you're never going to have access to any of those riches. Even if he says, I'll give you anything you want, nephew, niece. And you can believe it, but if you don't ask, it's never going to come to you. And that's why humility is a big part of this. The faith you guys are getting, you guys learn, you guys uh, study the word, you know his promises, but the humility is the part that I need to grow in. Where I actually ask him for what he's promised. And if you ask according to his promises, like we already said, the answer is always yes. Every day that I've ever asked him to fill me with his spirit, do you know what's happened? He's filled me with his spirit. What do I need more than everything in this world? His spirit. Why do I let days go by where I don't ask? I just assume that he's going to give me his spirit. And sometimes he does, even without me asking. But that's not the way that he wants it to work. He wants there to be humility and a a relationship 
He wants you to ask. Jesus said, ask, keep asking, keep seeking, and the Father will give to whoever asks. And thus he spoke concerning the Spirit. We have to ask. He wants us to ask. Oh, well, I don't, I don't think I should have to ask every single day. I'm sorry you don't think that, but you do. So do it. But he's so much better than just a rich uncle. He's our father. And his heart for us is so filled with wanting to give us good things. He wants to bless you. He wants you to be used. Look with me at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. We see some, this really amazing language and description of these promises, okay? It says in chapter 3, verse 16, Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And this I say, that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer a promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And then look down to verse 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. See, your performance according to the law does not matter when it comes to receiving these promises. Any promise of God. God has freed us from that limitation. He's not saying you can only receive my promises when you've been good and you've kept my law for 12 hours. Then I'll give you what you're asking for. I'll give you the Holy Spirit. No, that's not how God works. We are freed from the law being our condition to receive the promise. Why? Because the promise was made to who? It says it was made to Jesus. It was made to Jesus. It's not dependent on how good you are. It's about how good he is. See, there actually is a requirement to receive these promises, and it's perfection. In order to receive his inheritance, his promises, it is perfection. He can't just give his money to the slime on the streets. He demands perfection to give his inheritance. But glory to God, he gives that perfection to us when we simply trust in Jesus Christ. When we are in Him. When we're in Him, God sees us as His Son, Jesus Christ, with all the blessings and inheritance freely given to us. That's why I started this message with the gospel, so you would understand that you are in Him. You're in Him because you believe. Nobody stood up and, and did some mighty work to become in Him. None of you did. You all just sat there like, yep, I believe. I'm in him. And that's all that is required. Many of you have been in him for a long time. And in him, when you believe, man, all the promises that were made to Jesus are applied to you. It's wonderful. But when you don't believe, 
you won't see the promises. We're going to end today's Bible study with a warning. A warning from Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. And he says, We see that they could not enter because of unbelief. And who is he talking about? What's he talking about? The children of Israel coming out of Egypt, being saved from the world, the type of the world, it was only supposed to be a two-week journey up into the promised land. And it was promised to them. And they could have just taken that journey and arrived in the promised land and God would have given them everything. That was his heart. That was his desire. He wanted to. But they didn't believe. They sent some spies in and checked it out. Two of them were like, let's do it. It's awesome. And the other ten were like, there's big giants in the land. And we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And what they saw affected how they believed the promise. And they doubted because of what they saw. And I think in your life and in my life, we see some bad stuff. We see some giants and we look like grasshoppers. And I don't even know what that means in my life. But I know I felt it. I've looked at that person, there's no way they're going to get saved. There's no way God's going to get me out of this mess. There's no way he can fix my heart in this. I will not forgive. I will, I'm going to be stuck in this wandering desert forever. And we doubt because of what we see. All that we would just believe. Because he says, they could have. But they didn't believe. And the very next verse, it's my favorite verse. I say that every week. It says, therefore, since there's a promise of his rest, of, of a life filled with all these promises, since we have these promises, he says, let us fear that any one of you should seem to come short of this, these promises. I'm afraid for us. I'm afraid for me that I'm not going to know his promises and I'm not going to relate to him based on promises. I'm not going to believe that he predestined all these promises, that he predestined me to be able to live this life of fruitfulness and peace and joy. I'm afraid that my heart is going to look out with my eyes and I'm going to see things and I'm going to shrink back in unbelief. So how do we stop from doing that? How do we stop from doing that? We read the Bible and we believe. We encourage each other. We love one another. We love each other. And when we see one of us doubting, we come up to them and say, God's predestined promises for you. That you have all these promises. Believe. Let's pray. Let's trust the Lord. Let's believe together. And you'll see, God will never say no. He'll never say no. He never says no to one of his promises. Jesus, we ask for your Holy Spirit, Lord. Maybe there's times and days and weeks that we've gone by with no thought of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we've asked, 
Maybe we ask for other things. Maybe we ask for peace or we ask for joy when we should be asking for your spirit. Maybe we keep asking for you to fulfill your promises, for you to say yes when you're already saying yes and you just want us to believe. And God, I, I ask that you would, you would take us further now, that we would believe with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. And we would seek out a new promise every morning that we can live in,